D&D 5e Character Lab Podcast with your hosts, Karen and Dan. And welcome to the D&D Character Lab, the show based around the one thing we as players cannot resist. And that is compulsively creating characters and daydreaming about their validity in-game. Each week, we are bringing a new character to the table, drawing from a plethora of cross-platform content and scoring it against a predefined table of criteria. It is then up to us to use our own personal charisma modifiers to convince the other that our baby is better. Hey everyone, it's Garen. And I'm Dan, and this week we're very excited to be continuing our Magic November month using the Plane Shift supplements available from Wizards of the Coast on DM's Guild, for free I might add, to build our characters to count down to the release of the newest Wizards of the Coast supplement for 5th edition, Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica. This week we are plane shifting our way to Amonkhet, which is a world similar to if the towering city of Sharn in Eberron were to marry ancient Egypt. Animal-headed gods walking amongst the people, towering monuments made of sand, and even a scheming pharaoh god who is preparing for the afterlife by serving an evil dragon planeswalker, by attempting to build an undead army. If this setting doesn't sound like fun to you, what the hell is wrong with you exactly? To say that this is a cool setting would not be doing it any justice. My imagination went wild as I read through this supplement, and I have to say, I would probably have come up with about seven or eight more characters for this setting easily. Dude, I am excited for your character because I agree there was a lot of great stuff in here. Just rich with lore. Now, let me briefly talk about the rules of our show before we get into it, because if you're a new listener, this could be very helpful. We got nine criteria that we score these characters against. Melee damage, range damage, burninating, which is magic damage, control in and out of the battlefield, tankiness, how well that character can take a hit and what healing they have, ally assist, what abilities they have to help their fellow party members, balance, how optimized the character is on the character sheet alone, and the smooth operator and spitting fire sections come at the end of the show where we have a role-playing scenario and we must determine how the PC would handle it in a smooth and aggressive manner, respectively. These last two categories use the charisma-based skills, but also spells, background features, or whatever else we can think of and justify at the moment. Each of us also get a challenge roll where we can make the other person earn the score that they're arguing for, plus two to minus two. The roll will use the charisma modifier as a persuasion check. The various scores have different DC. If the person meets or exceeds the score, the score is achieved. If they fail, they must take the score below that which they were arguing for. Now, boring shit is done. Let me walk like an Egyptian on our stroll to Amonkhet because I want to tell you about a young Avon girl named Chesky. Avons are humanoids with bird heads, and she specifically has a hawk shaped head. She always had a flair for cooking, really handy in the kitchen, loved to do it for her family, and when she got old enough, she took it out on the road. She loved to travel, see the world of Amonkhet, and spread the good word of her goddess that she praised, Akadi. So you made someone who owns a food truck. All right, cool. Close. She created a business around establishing nests and tree houses where someone could stay for the night, hear about the air goddess Akadi, and then have a meal and leave. She became known as the founder of Airbnb. <laughs> this is a level eight cleric of the air domain, chef background, Avon bird person, Chesky, ready to win this episode. Very cool. I am excited to learn more about this cleric and uh, what they have to offer for Airbnb. So pretty cool. Let me introduce you to Nazimet, the twin sister of Kazimet. Nazimet and her sister are devoted guards of Hazaret's tomb. Are you confused yet? Yep. <laughs> the Naga to the Ronis 
is uh, Hazaret and the Avon to Kefnet. They are a pair of mysterious and somewhat majestic Kenra race of the of Amonket. Nazimet and Kazimet are afforded many of the arcane strengths of the almighty Naga Hazaret. Some of this intense skill is actually carrying over into their melee weaponry. Their spears are enigmatic in a sense as they seem to dance in a performance-like art when they battle, something rarely only seen from the blade-singing elves in Faerun. Nazimet is a level 8 Kenra, which is kind of like a Doberman humanoid race. Bladesinger <laughs> wizard of the Acolyte background. Nice! We're using the Bladesinger out of Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide, correct? That's correct. So this is uh, one of the few subclasses that was featured in Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide that did not make the cut into uh, Xanathar's Guide to Everything. And I'm going to again be arguing, which I feel like we're always doing, why the listeners should also own a Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide because it is such a worthwhile supplement. Absolutely agreed. Some great lore in there. Really a fun book. And you know what? It's going to take you to places. You could travel through. You can meet all the deities. We're talking about some deities today. And while we are on the lab here plane shifting from setting to setting every week, that could get dizzying. But there's one passenger that's always ready to adapt to every setting. That's our friends over at Cantrip Candles. They're the purveyors of 100% soy candles that are specifically designed to accompany your tabletop adventures in games like D&D and Pathfinder. They have a great selection of scents that smell like different locations in a fantasy world. Musty taverns, libraries full of arcane texts, or the one we just lit up. Ah, sanctuary. Amaket is a hotbed of religious monuments. Just one whiff of this candle with its spicy notes of ginger and saffron make, transports me right into the tomb of Hazaret. But to be honest, you can find a scent for any of your adventure settings in their sampler pack, which offers nine of their scents for a great low price. Once you decide that you want to buy every single one of their scents, we're happy to announce you now can, and the lab will help cover some of the costs. When you use the code LABRAT, L-A-B-R-A-T, all one word at checkout, you receive 10% off your total purchase. Be sure to check them out. That's Cantrip Candles. And if you don't know how to spell Cantrip, you shouldn't be playing D&D. Back to you, Dan. Well <laughs> Thanks, Garen, and Cantrip Candles for that message. Now, I am going to go ahead and put my melee magician on full display, so I'm going to go ahead and start us off in the melee category, where I'm arguing a plus one. I have a spear that offers a plus six to hit, does 1d6 plus three damage, and I have two attacks. 1d6 plus three? Yep, so I have a total of uh, a, a potential 18 damage per round. Yeah, I mean, I was going to be really nitpicky, but I know what I have, so I guess I have to award you the plus one on that for sure. Okay. So what do you have in melee? I'm arguing a minus one. I've got a dagger, which is a plus eight to hit, 1d4, plus four damage. Okay, I can't really argue with that. Why do you seem so judgmental? <laughs> well, why don't you tell us what's in ranged? Maybe we'll have something more fun to say in ranged. A little nicer. I have got the light crossbow, which is a plus eight to hit, one d6, plus four damage. I also have a feature of being an Avon. I'm hawk-eyed. Not only am I proficient in perception, but I do not take disadvantage when shooting long range with a ranged weapon. So for that matter... Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. That is a feature that would come in seriously handy, so I'm arguing a plus one for that. Yeah, I'm going to give you the plus one. That's a cool racial feature. I'm also arguing a plus one for the exact same reason on the, I argued that in the previous category, which is I have a spear, plus six to hit, 1d6 plus three, and two attacks. I'm going to argue this is a zero because the spear's range is actually very short compared to most ranged weapons. And so you know your stuff. I was hoping you didn't. Uh, I'll take a zero. Come on, know Moving my stuff. <laughs> Moving right along into burninating. I'm arguing a plus two here. 
I have Wall of Fire, 5d8 fire damage. Thunderstep deals 3d10 thunder damage. Lightning Bolt does 8d6. Magic Missile does 1d4 plus 1 times 3, and he can't miss. I also have Burning Hands, which deals out 3d6. And then Vitriolic Sphere, which I don't know if we've ever featured on this show, but I'd like to explain it a little bit for our listeners. You point at a location within range, and a glowing one-foot diameter ball of emerald acid streaks there and explodes in a 20-foot radius sphere. Each creature in that area must make a dex saving throw, and on a failed save, they take 10d4 acid damage and another 5d4 acid damage at the end of their next turn. On a successful save, they take half the initial damage and no damage on the next turn. Damn. So I really like I really like that spell because I like the lasting effect and, and how it there's sort of this sense of impending doom. You know, you took the initial damage, but you know, you're gonna have to roll that D4 five more times. Uh, at the end of your next turn. So I I like that kind of suspense. I love a spell that's new to us. I mean, we've been doing the show for over a year now, and there's still things like, holy shit, that's out there? That's great. Yeah, agreed. So that's my argument for plus two. Okay, I know there's more categories coming for you, but I'm feeling lucky on this one. I think this is the time to push the roll. Okay, I have a nine in charisma, so uh, I will need to get an 18, natural 18 or better. I rolled a 16, so that won't do it. Nice. I am arguing a plus one in Burninating, which doesn't sound so great compared to yours, but here it is. I have got the Cantrip Word of Radiance, which is 3d6. I have also got three spells that I need to read to you because I am using the Air Domain from the Fates of the Forgotten Realm supplement that we have used before on this show. And this is such a fun book. So here are my new spells. Breathless. This is a cantrip that has a 60-foot range. They have a con save, 2d8 bludgeoning damage because the breath is sucked out of their lungs and they lose their reaction. I also have Steel Breath, which is a fourth-level spell, stealing as in taking away. Concentration for one minute. It's a con save. On fail, they take 1d8 bludgeoning and they're unable to talk or cast spells that use the verbal component. They have to repeat the save at the end of their turn. If they fail it, they take an additional 1d8. I already love the theming of this air domain, so keep going. Here's my channel divinity. This is the fury of the wind. It's a 30-foot cone, strength save. On fail, they take 2d6 plus my cleric level, which is 8, and they are knocked prone. Very cool. And so while you don't have the volume of spells that I do, I will gladly grant you a plus one because you have some really cool original spells from a, a great supplement that we've previously featured, and I'm glad you revisited it for this episode. Let that be a lesson to any future guests. Creativity is worth bonus points in the lab. Now, tell us, how controlling is your air domain cleric? I have a feeling you've got some more tricks up your sleeve. Sure do. I can conjure minor minor elementals, which will, of course, be air elementals. I have got the gust spell. I've got the gust of wind spell. I have got the daylight spell. And I have got augury, which I don't know that we've highlighted on the show. I think you're, I'm sure you're probably familiar with it, but you can commune with your god and receive an omen, good, bad, to kind of lead you towards what your next step should be based on your goals. I have also got a spell called Updraft. It's a second level spell. A 10 foot radius location within 60 feet propels all the creatures 30 feet up in the air, just briefly. Because if they fail that deck save, they get thrown up 30 feet in the air, and then they take 3d6 falling damage when they fall. So I put that into control because I think that would just be kind of a fun way to fuck up the battlefield. <laughs> I have also got one negative to my control category. Akadi, 
I think it's Akati, does not like earth and stone. I am unable to cast any earth or stone spells. And if I use an item that has a earth or stone property to it, I get disadvantage on all saving throws for 24 hours. Now, whoa. the one thing to that is I can be the recipient of an earth or stone spell. So this is not like someone can screw me over by casting something on me. It's just, if I do it purposefully, she punishes me. I love that. Yeah, it's almost like a warlock pact kind of relationship with with this domain a little bit yeah i think it, and it makes sense with such a pure elemental god sure. they would definitely have feelings towards other elements so those things considered i'm arguing a plus one that was exactly what i was going to suggest so you can have that plus one so here i'm arguing a plus two i have invisibility but i also have the feat of warcaster which I don't think we've featured on this show before. It allows me to have advantage on con saving throws that I can make to maintain a concentration on a spell. So that's pretty neat. Also able to perform the somatic components of spells even when I have weapons or a shield in one or both of my hands, which is extremely relevant for this particular archetype. And then uh, when hostile creatures movement provokes an opportunity attack from me, I can use my reaction to cast a spell at the creature rather than make an opportunity attack. The spell must have a ca casting time of one action and can only target that creature. But I think that that's a nice little option to give a caster. So mm -hmm. that... Mm -hmm included with another spell that I don't think that we featured on this show called knock. So you choose an op an object that you can see within range. It can be a door, a box, a chest, a set of monocles, padlock, whatever. I'm sorry, a, a set of a set of manacles, a padlock. A set or, of or, monocles or, would be great to unlock. Yes. <laughs> I think those are just monocles. called glasses. <laughs> unlock your glasses. Uh, the target that is held shut by that lock is struck or unlocked or unbarred or opened and you can only do this to one, so if there are multiple locks, it'll only open one. And basically, when you do this, it will let out a profound knock that can be heard 300 feet away. So it's not like you can do this very sneakily, but it does allow you to open something that you can't access. So, mm -hmm. But it, w it will alert some folks. That's why it's called knock. I thought it was a cool spell, and we've never featured it, um, but it has a clear downside, which I think is a cool, cool thing. Uh, and then, of course, there is the racial feature called Kenra Twins. So the reason that she has a twin is because this race often does have twins. They come in pairs. So if your twin is alive and you can see your twin, whenever you roll a one on an attack roll, ability check, or saving throw, you can re-roll the die and must use the new roll. If your twin is dead or you were born without a twin, you can't be frightened. Allowing to, uh, to re-roll a one on an attack roll, ability check, or saving throw is huge. And this really seems like a gift to role players as well, because I think it's a pretty common, it's at least something that a lot of players have encountered in their games of people wanting to play siblings or especially twins or have a twin in the game. So this is something that they came up with that actually adds an in-game mechanic to having a twin. So that is a lot of fun. I love that. Agreed. And so all of that stuff considered, I think I'm worthy of a plus two. Oof. Yeah, I can't argue with that, that is the downside to being on this show so long is our arguments are just so tight, so clean. <laughs> I will take that plus two. And moving on to tankiness, I'm arguing to zero because I'm a wizard after all. But I have 56 HP and an AC of 11. Here's where the Blade Song comes into play. So while the Blade Song is active, you can gain the following benefits which you use as a bonus action and it lasts a minute. That's how the blade song works. You activate it as a bonus action, it lasts a minute, and you can use it twice per long rest, or short or long rest. You gain a bonus to your AC equal to your intelligence modifier, which is plus three, so that will bump my AC to 14. The walking speed increases by 10 feet. You have advantage on dex checks or saves. 
and you uh, also gain a bonus to any constitution saving throw that you make to maintain concentration on a spell. So you will get a plus three. And then, of course, I, as a warcaster, get advantage on those checks as it is. So maintaining concentration is going to be something that's relatively simple for me. And then I, of course, also have two spells that'll up my AC and, and bolster my HP a bit. I have False Life and, of course, Shield, which, is when used as a reaction, will boost my AC by 5. So I, while I have an AC of 11... Normally, I have a potential AC when using Shield and the Blade Song of 19. So I think all that considered, it's a zero. All right. I'm not going to take you all the way down to a minus one because you do have a lot to offer there. So that's definitely zero worthy. I am arguing a plus two because I have 72 hit points and an AC of 16. I can also fly, which is arguably a very tanky thing. And if my flight is taken away from me, once per long rest, I can cast Featherfall on myself using the Blessings of Akadi. I also have Light of a Fe Light as a Feather, which is a high-level ability that you get with the Air Domain, where I just get advantage on all deck saves. And I have a spell called Warding Vortex, which is a second-level spell, concentration for one minute. And while I'm maintaining the spell, once per round, I can reduce damage by 1d4 plus my proficiency for any melee or ranged attack. So those things considered, oh. I think this is plus two worthy. Yeah, potential to bring that damage down by eight. Yeah, pretty nice. Okay, yeah, plus two, but you're going to roll for that plus two. Quite fair. My charisma is a 12 for this character. Going to get that high-level roll right now. Got a 10, not going to happen. Okay, so you'll take a plus one, as the DC for a plus two argument is 17. Moving into ally assist, Garen, how do you help your friends? You know, you know, Dan, can we just, can we stop, can we stop the show? Can we stop recording right now? Because I don't know that I can go any further without telling the people that they could probably help us. By all means, go for it. Okay, I know this is totally unusual. We've never sprung this on you at this point in the show, but there are so many ways you guys can support the show. And I know we've never mentioned our Patreon, our t-shirts, or our DMs Guild content. And I know we've never mentioned that you guys can write a review of the show. Did you know that iTunes will let you write a review of a show that you like? So if you're enjoying the show right now, you can give us five stars and write something like Garen and Dan are so handsome and cool. Did you know that? Probably not, because people don't talk about the ways that you can support things you like like and so that's why i'm breaking out of the mold right now to tell you these things so if you feel so bold so kind do any one of those things i listed or tell a friend next time you go to game night say hey i listen to garen and dan on the DD character lab you might like their show skip this and this and this episode those are the part where you put in the episodes you don't like i mean we all have ones that we don't really care for that's my pitch take it or leave it please take it a very unorthodox argument by garen jones i'll give you a plus two Oh, man, I hope I didn't weird him out. Here's my ally assist argument for Chesky. I can cast Cure Wounds. I can cast Aid. I can cast Fly on my friends. I could put Gaseous Form on them. I could put Absorb Elements on them. Or if they want to get straight up fucking married, I will cast Ceremony. All those things considered, <laughs> I think this is a plus two. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to go back to an old saying of mine, which is uh, I'm going to tell you why you're not going to get the plus two because I get straight listy with how I help my friends. And the reason I'm doing this is because I have a twin and I imagine that I would, uh, she's pretty much my ride or die and I would do anything for her. So I have Shelter the Faithful. We've covered that in this show. I'm not going to go over it. I have the spell Haste, 
which we have not covered in this show before, and you choose a willing creature, and until the spell ends, the target's speed is doubled, it gains a plus two to its AC, it has advantage on deck saving throws, and it gains an additional action on each of its turns. That's such a cool used- spell. Yeah, it's a great spell. Now, that action can be used only to take the attack ac- action and the dash, disengage, hide, or use an object action. When the spell ends, the target can't move or take actions until after its next turn as a wave of lethargy sweeps over it. So I like the initial boost, but then a little bit of a drawback. Now, I also have slow, which you alter time up to around up to six creatures of your choice within a 40-foot cube. Each target must succeed on a wisdom saving throw or be affected by the spell for the duration. An affected target speed is halved, takes a negative two penalty to AC and deck saving throws, and it cannot use reactions. On its turn, it can either use an action or a bonus action, but not both. Regardless of the creature's abilities or magic items, it can't make more than one melee or ranged attack during its turn. If the creature attempts to cast a spell with a casting time of one action, roll a d20. On an 11 or higher, the spell doesn't take effect until the creature's next turn. And the creature must use its action on that turn to complete the spell. If it can't, the spell is wasted. The, the advantages are very clear as to how this would help my friends. I mean, it's great control, but it definitely helps my friends. I also have life transference, which is a little bit altruistic, and this is really what I think I would do for my twin. You sacrifice some of your health to mend another creature's injuries. You take 48 necrotic damage, and one creature of your choice that you can see within range regains a number of hit points equal to twice the necrotic damage you take. So up to 64 damage. I mean, uh, 64 health points that they would get from me. And then, of course, I have Dragon's Breath, which I don't have to go into. I basically can pick one of my friends and uh, give them the ability to... They basically get the racial ability of Dragon's Breath from a Dragonborn. So, pretty cool spell. And who the hell doesn't want to be a dragon? I'd be a great friend if you want to be a dragon for a day. Oh, man, I could dragon so hard. That considered, I'm arguing a plus two. Because I've got a lot of stuff that can help my friends. Yeah, but there's only one healing thing, and some of those are arguably control. So I think that's a plus one worthy. All right. Fair argument. Fair argument. So plus ones to go around then. Okay, plus ones all around the table. Moving into balance, Margaret a plus two here. It's a very optimized wizard. Not the best melee combatant, but I feel like this archetype is very balanced because it's a fighting caster that has some solid buffs. You know, when that blade song is going, I think that there's really some some solid buffs that, that get added to it. And you normally are not playing a wizard that's using a spear or some sort of melee weapon. And this allows you to do that while still being able to use some spells. It's not the best melee combatant, but it still uh, gives you some perks. The strength modifier is 16, dex of 10, con of 12, intelligence of 17, wisdom of 10, charisma of 9, proficiency in history, insight, performance, religion, and sleight of hand checks... Passive perception of 10, AC of 11, and 56 hit points. I have a spell save DC of 14 and a plus 6 to spell attacks. And, of course, saving throws in intelligence and wisdom. So I think that's a, I think it's a plus 2 in balance. It's a pretty balanced wizard. If you do, so do I. Because I've got a strength of 10, dex of 18, con 12, intelligence of 11, wisdom of 18, charisma of 12, proficiencies in medicine, religion, nature, and survival. I mean, come on. Those are right about the same world. Sure. Sure. Who cares, right? (laughs) Who gives a shit? This show. (laughs) If you haven't caught on yet, scoring's not the important part of the show. Dan hasn't kept score once. Not one time. And he's so much better at math than me. (laughs) Don't have any idea who's won more episodes either. So if somebody has way too much time on their hands and they'd like to give us that information, 
please do. Where's our critrollstats.com? <laughs> okay, so let's take it into our smooth operator category. We have got another scenario submitted by Ben Potts. This states, your heroes all across the land, peasants and royalty alike are singing your praises for your valorous defeats of the dragon Rotfang, who was raised by orcs. Your party has been brought before the king, rewarded with tons of gold, and even given your own keep. Life couldn't be better for you. There's just one problem. You never actually touched Rotfang. It was another adventurer partying with a similar composition and a similar name to yours that did it. And they have come to your new keep to have it out with you. How do you resolve this awkward situation? So Chesky opens the door of the keep and says, okay, look, I understand exactly why you're pissed off. Come inside. You've been out adventuring for so long. Let me make you a home-cooked meal. And they probably haven't had one in forever. And she's a really good cook. Or when she brings him into the dining room, she starts like coughing and sneezing. And she's like, oh man, I'm so sorry. We totally tried to fight Rotfang. And I think I got a little sick from being within the vicinity of it. And you guys are so lucky if you didn't catch it. Because this is really an awful... uh." And then she sneezes. And I cast Fury of the Wind, so the sneeze knocks them all on their asses, and then I immediately cast Updraft to send them flying up into the air, and they plop back down on the ground, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm sorry, I feel like another sneeze is coming on. By then, they're going to be back out the door. Yeah, I mean, you're getting a little aggressive with your sneezes, but I think it's overall pretty smooth. I'm cloaking it so heavy. I mean, dealing damage is one thing, but I'm, I'm really putting it under a layer of sickness here. I like it. So what are you arguing? P- one. Yeah, definitely. Okay, how do you handle this smooth with your pre-prepared so, statement? So, for the record, I misread this uh, scenario. So, I'm going to come up with this right now. I would say that, you know, this party is going to come up, and my twin and I are going to approach him and be like, listen, we understand, we know what's going on, we know why you're here, and we just start chattering, chattering, chattering back and forth. My twin and I just never stop talking. We're on a Kanye West-type rant. And <laughs> while we're ranting... I discreetly cast deafness on the party and we continue to talk and talk and talk. We wouldn't give them an opportunity to put a word in edgewise. And so they probably wouldn't want to interrupt us seeing that we're still talking. I would then just quickly, or my twin could, you know, cause we're kind of one in the same. She could detect their thoughts and see like, okay, well, are they close to leaving? Can we stop talking yet? And we would just basically keep talking until they left. I understand this is a terrible argument and I'm arguing a minus one. Yeah, especially because you're not a sorcerer, you don't have subtle spells, so you would actually be having to use all the material components and verbal and somatic to do these spells, so they'd be like, what the fuck spell are they casting on us now? What is this? I have sleight of hand. Sleight of hand does not mean subtle spell. That's why subtle spell exists. I have plus three to sleight of hand. Plus three? Get out of here with your plus three. (laughs) Minus one, shut up. Minus one, you couldn't steal a basketball with a plus three sleight of hand. You're no Scott Skiles. So they would come in an aggressive manner. They would come up to us, start pointing the finger, and we would start to explain ourselves. And they would be like, yeah, right. You know, and then, you know, I would start making as much noise as possible so that the townspeople came around and started to hear what was going on. And I would cast enemies abound on the party so that they no longer knew who their friends and who their foes were. And I would cast it so that they would think that the the innocent bystanders were also enemies of this party. And so they started throwing out blind accusations to the bystanders. And so everybody would kind of think that they've lost their marbles a little bit. They're not rational people. You know, we would just kind of act confused. And I would then cast Wall of Fire 
and say everyone, you know, separating us from the party and act as the town's protector and say, everybody escape while you can before they go mad. That, that's what I would that's what I would do. I think it's a plus one. <laughs> you're you're using spells in these things like people don't understand how spells work. It's all right. I mean, that's a, it's an all right argument. Enemies abound is a good spell. I think my use of it against making the guy afraid of bunnies was but I got a twin. I got a twin that can help me cast some spells. So I think it's I think it's legit. This is definitely zero worthy. All right. And I'm probably going to eat my own words now because here's my argument. They come to my keep and I climb up on the wall. I peek my head over the wall, look down on them and I say, "I fought in your general direction." Your mother was a hamster and your father smelt of elderberries. And then I continue to taunt them a second time. That, that's it, huh? That's it. That's... Cool. So that's uh, that's a what then? That's a plus two for Monty Python and the Holy Grail. False. Not original and you could go ahead and take a zero. Hell yeah, I'll take a zero. Thank you for that zero. I thought you were going to do stinking cloud or something. Your air domain, man, you can simulate farts all day long. Oh, these big breezy gusty farts. All right, we're at the end of the show. Let me do the scores, but Dan, tell the listeners, do you like your character? Sort of. The downside with the Bladesong Wizard is that it doesn't really come into its own with the cool melee attack abilities until, like, pretty high level, like 15th level, which not a lot of people have patience and investment without multiclassing uh, in a character for that long. So that's a downside, but if you do have patience... It'll definitely pay off. You're going to be a badass melee combatant, and you're going to be a super-duper powerful spellcaster at 15th level. So the answer is sort of. How about you, Garen? I love the subclass. The race is cool. I love that hawk-eyed thing. Otherwise, because it had flying speed, they also gave plus two to wisdom and plus two to deck. So there wasn't too much to kind of sink your teeth into as far as the racial build goes. But then Avon would make a badass ranger with that dex and wisdom. I would totally be down with this character. This would be actually a lot of fun. Like I said, the air-based spells were really cool. So that being said, who reigns supreme this week? You know I do with an 8-6 to six victory over you. Feeling that plane shift right now. I'm doing the plane shift. It's a dance. We're going to release a YouTube video for you guys. Okay. These Plane Shift supplements, guys, they are available for free on DMs Guild, like we said. They're official Wizards content. They're brief, easy to digest, and they add great options to your game. Again, this one was Plane Shift Amonkhet. Be sure to check it out. Also, the rest of the stuff that we love to tell you about, Beastland Supplement on DMs Guild, our content, we featured it on our October 24th episode. Our Patreon episodes are always out there, Fight Club and Monster Labs. For October, we made the monsters that scare us the most. And we got real wussy with it. So check it out for $5 and up. You can get on that now. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the D&D Character Lab. Dan, this was a lot of fun. Thank you. Agreed, Garen. And that about wraps things up for us this week, Lab Rats. Remember, when it comes to character creation, it doesn't have to be optimized. It just has to be fun. Have a great week, guys. This has been a production of the D&D Character Lab Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at DND Character Lab. Or shoot us an email at dndcharacterlab at gmail.com. Most importantly, make sure you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. By the way, I am smoking out this closet right now. I'm just a sweat pile.